What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people passions in all things business. Today, sitting across the way, I have Mr. Justin Lewis, the president of Lewis Color and Print. That still is the name right now, isn't it? Yeah, Lewis Color. Lewis Color? Yeah, Lewis Color. Fantastic. Incorporated. Uh, You know, Lewis Color is one of those longstanding family-operated companies in Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, I actually, I just want to throw this in there. I was speaking about it to you a little bit before the show started. Um, but the first kind of like inspiration that I got for this podcast was actually done with Tommy Lewis at Lewis Color. Yeah. And uh, I just I just came through, uh, you know, uh, did some video content and did like kind of like this business interview and found that I just have this passion for learning about people's companies, uh, the challenges that they've gone through. Uh, and it was so much fun. And uh, I owe it all to Tommy yeah. uh, for that experience. So, uh, but enough about him Justin welcome to the show yeah thank you for having me and uh glad to be here absolutely so uh talk talk to me about Lewis color um you know how what in your in your definition what is Lewis color um we're a wholesale commercial printer so our main customers are other printers um, brokers and uh, marketing firms but we still support the local market here in Statesboro um but um we create integrated print solutions for resellers. So say one of our other companies has a, a client, they want to set up a storefront. So we set up storefronts to where they have online ordering portals. And everything's printed in our facility and shipped directly to their customers. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, is that um, what you, like how did the company get there? Was that how it started? Or take me take me through the history of Lewis Color. It's definitely not how it started. Uh, my grandfather started it in 1961. 1961? Yeah. So in Statesboro? In Statesboro. Okay. Yep. So um, he was working at the Bullock Herald at the time. It wasn't the Statesboro Herald back then. <laughs> okay. And so he started printing on the side a little bit in his little pool house behind his, um, his house. And um, from there, it kind of slowly grew. Um, they sold rubber stamps and... Um, Printing at the beginning, uh-huh. um, and it got busier and busier. And I think he went full time in 1970, so he was able to, to quit the Bullock Herald and go full time into printing. What did he initially do at the Herald? Uh, he was a, I think it was a linotype operator uh, mm-hmm. for the Herald. So they set type and stuff for the paper. Uh, old school, old huh? school. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it was all metal type and uh, furniture is what they called it, which was wooden. <laughs> pieces to lock in the type and uh-huh. really old school stuff. And, and so there was a there was already a printer at um, the Statesboro Herald. That's right, yeah. Um, but he had just, I guess, went out and purchased his own? Uh, yeah, so um, kind of go back even further. Um, he's originally from Appling County, and he moved to Savannah when he was uh, 14 years old. Wow. So lived with his sister there, and um, from there he took a— um, a job did a kind of like a, a union job at the savannah morning news okay and that's where he learned to print he met my grandmother there in savannah she was going to school 
and then they came back to Statesboro and built a house. And they when you say um, back to states, she was from Statesboro. She's from Statesboro. Okay. Yes. And uh, where did she go to school at? I guess like a. Uh, there was a. I can't really recall what college it was uh-huh. in Savannah. She went to, but she went Got to some you. business college there. Uh huh. And uh, met my grandfather, and so they came back here and moved to my great grandfather's farm. Uh huh. And uh, built a house, and that's kind of how he moved into the Bullock Herald and. Um, printing industry as all together uh there's something interesting in here um where you know just because he had the job at the um statesboro herald Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that you know he's an entrepreneur it was very entrepreneurial of him to actually purchase his own machine Mm -hmm. and start doing that on the side do you do you know of like you know why he did that or how he did that um he always had the drive to do something himself he always wanted to um, create his own company and uh-huh. that passion and drive and so you know he didn't have much money back then enough so he used his first uh he used a tax return and he got like 110 dollars back and he bought his first machine for 100 bucks and uh, um there's a funny story about that that's written on our um wall at work but i can't really recall it right now but uh-huh. that's how it really got started was that and it's that first little initial investment and uh, my grandmother supported him all the time, and they, uh, they they made a successful business out of it. That's awesome. Uh, do you, how about the actual first machine? Do we still do we still have that first machine? We don't. We have about the third or fourth machine they purchased, which uh-huh. is an old antique windmill from the fifties. Uh huh. Um, we still run it probably once a week. You know, I I see that machine. Like when I took the yeah. tour. Um, uh, it's a Heidelberg. So windmill. what is that? It's so it does like. Um, Full, uh, it can do full stamping or it can do like numbering. So there's like hard numbering machines in which it's smashed between the paper and the metal plate that activates it to change the number. So every sheet, you'll have a different number. Uh-huh. Uh, and it does like die cutting of like door hangers and things oh, of that nature. That's, that's so cool. So uh, some people really like the old school look of crash numbering and impressions. So uh-huh. we have a handful of customers. We still run on that machine because they love that unique look and feel. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, so take me to the point where, you know, do you know kind of like when he started the company, he went full time and then kind of like what, what happened then? Like, yep. did it start growing? Like, what was the... Yeah, so um, in the very beginning, you know, uh, they had three kids, my aunt, uh, Uncle Tommy, and my dad, Randy. So they were all brought up in the business from the time they could walk. So, oh, really? Yeah. So, so even tough. at that young age, yeah, they were moved. Okay. They were folding things, stapling <laughs> it at night at the kitchen table. And uh, my great-grandmother lived down the road, and she would come over and help. So uh-huh. everybody on the road would come over there, and they'd help finish jobs at night. Yeah. Do you know uh, if they ever got paid for those hours? or? Uh, very unlikely that they got paid, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, free labor, uh, definitely the family business, you're, you're – considered free labor for a while that's right um but from there um my uncle and dad started really working in the business he opened up a shop um it's where in shape fitness is now okay my great grandfather used to own a service station at that corner okay um and so when the service station shut down he um let my um, granddad and grandmother you know that's where he opened his first location so that was the print shop originally okay and so it grew they um kept on doing little additions that way that lot that it looks a little funky because of all the different additions they've done over the years. Yeah. Um, but that's where it started, and it primarily um, serviced just the Statesboro, Bullitt County market, um, Savannah. But um, as my dad and granddad were getting closer to high school and college, you know, they really wanted to make a career out of it. They knew that there just wasn't enough sales there in our area to uh, support them having a full-time salary. Uh-huh. So what they did kind of out of the box in the early 80s is they started going wholesale printing for other printers 
So they created this big marketing kit. My grandfather was so against it. He's like, you never publish your pricing or anything like that. So they went right against his will and they spent a bunch of money on a big marketing kit that went up all the way to New York, uh, Miami, and it was primarily um, to print brokers and other printers. And the phones just started ringing off the hook. They doubled the business within four months. Mm. So at that point in time, we became a, a wholesale commercial printer and that's how we've grown ever since. Do you remember, or have you ever heard of kind of like, you said that there was this clash, right? Mm -hmm. Because the grandfather mm -hmm. uh, did not want them to move towards this direction. That's right. Uh, but yet, you know, uh, un like My Tommy, uncle and dad, yeah. yeah, they kind of like wanted to move. And, and so that tension, do you, do you ever hear about kind of like, you know, uh, through the grapevine of like you know what that ultimately resulted in because mm -hmm. obviously it, it brought tons of success to yeah. the organization they talked to me i mean he ultimately had to sign off on it in the end because they didn't own any part of the business at that point they were employees just family gotcha. employees so they did the convincing um you know they put a marketing plan together and they was like just let us try it this one time let's see what happens uh -huh. um and he allowed it to you know go through and and you know three four months later he's like worked out pretty well you know? <laughs> so but there's always those little clashes within family vision businesses no doubt yeah um, it's how you grow from them learn from them and um we hadn't had many at all in our company you know we work well together our family how much of the families in in the company so currently um tommy is retired mm. uh, but he still comes up there like every day he so does welcome him every day <laughs> still comes up there and eats lunch can't with stay, it. Yeah. can't stay away right it's, it's part of your blood uh my grandfather was the same way um up until probably the last two years because he couldn't get up and go around mm. or get up as much but that was his passion coming every day just to walk around, see everybody, stir the wolf's nest, sure. and then leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but my sister currently works as an account manager. Okay. Um, they have me as president, and my father's still vice president. He just works remotely from mm -hmm. St. Simons. Mm -hmm. It comes up once a week. Gotcha. Um, we have some distant cousins and things that work with us, but uh, that's all we have full-time right now. Uh, what about kind of like during um, when when Tommy was uh, president? How much Was there a ton of family that kind of like was in the business? Um, there wasn't through the years. We've always, we've all worked there. Um, all my cousins have worked there uh, through high school and things of that nature, but nobody was ever full-time other than really myself. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, cousins, nephews, things of that nature have all worked there. So let's get to the good part of this. Talk to me about your journey, right? So when did you start kind of working at Lewis Color? So I started from a very young age. Um, as a kid, like you said, and you've been in family business, um, you know, you kind of work for free as you're four and five and six years old, you know, because <laughs> back then my grandmother picked me up from school and you were dropped off at work. And yep. you stayed there until dad left work <laughs> every single day. So um did that for you know years as i was younger i you know was sweeping the floors i ran laminators was the first i guess official piece of equipment I how ever old were you um eight nine yeah something like that and so i do it in the afternoons and i started making a little money and uh -huh. so i really kind of like that and having a little money to you know buy what i wanted when I went to a store with my friend or something yeah, like that yeah um so i kind of got the bug and um i wanted to work more i mean i just really enjoyed it from a young age i always remember just trying to um, you know, make your parents proud, you know, yeah. going to work. It was just kind of a weird feeling because everybody's like, well, you're 13, 14, but I, I had a passion for it. That's right. Um, so it was a little different for me. So after school, I'd work, um, you know, most days during summer, we'd work. Uh, I really started coming on full time when I was in ninth grade. Um, I worked in the evenings and I uh, ran a small press. 
And then 10th grade, I started working full-time at night. So after school, I worked a three-to-one shift, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, uh, running our half-size press at night. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. Um, and that's kind of my journey through school. And um, me and my dad had discussions while I was in high school, like, all right, am I going to college? What am I going to do? And he's like, you know, you've, you can be in this business right here, and you can make a real go of it. Um, doing some continuing education class at night, not necessarily saying I have to go to a four-year, you know, school. Sure. So I came right out of high school in 2007. I graduated from Statesboro High and um, went right into the business. And you know what happened in 2008, the recession hit. Sure. So it was funny. I got right out of high school, and then all of a sudden I take a, you know, down to 32 hours at that shop. I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, probably should have went to college. But um, I dug in there, and... Um, you know, and I worked through our digital department and um, various areas of the plant, learning more of the business. Um, there wasn't a huge upside during the recession because it really hit us hard from 2009 to 2012. Was kind of our hard it, years. It, it, it impacts you guys, well, well, like just because like people aren't printing spending. as much. Yeah, yeah, spending when spending's down. Um, our biggest things we're printing is direct mail and market, marketing. Items. Got you. So when restaurants, people aren't eating out, they're not mm. going on vacations, that really affects our market. That's right. Especially with this last recession. But during that time, I had a good friend of mine who he was a farmer here in town, still is, and uh, there was a big need for cotton. Cotton prices went up in 2011, 12, like $2 a pound. So, and the cotton was not getting to the gin quick enough, so it was sitting out in the field for a long time. So, uh, and his cotton was part of that. So we looked at getting a cotton truck to haul to the local gin here. And I'm like, well, I'll work it at night if you can work it during the day. So I studied and got my CDL license okay. while working at the shop. And um, we bought a cotton truck and we started hauling cotton. We did that for four years. Where where does your entrepreneurial spirit come from? Because uh, that's entrepreneurial, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't get paid enough at work, so I found <laughs> Forced. Uh, yeah, for sure. So... Um, I don't know. I get that drive a lot. My dad, he's 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 always looking at the next thing to do. Sure. Um, you know, whatever it is, he kind of wants to look at it. And he kind of gives it to me to kind of look at it and be like, I'm a lot more kind of conservative. You entrepreneur. are? Yes. Com compared to him. Yeah. So uh, we kind of both look at it. And we both agree normally it's a pretty good investment or something to do. Yeah. Um, but he's always out there looking for those things. Then we get together and kind of figure out that's what we want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you're kind of going through this journey. You get your CDL license. How was Cotton? Mm -hmm. We we were busy. We were wide open. So we hauled for the gin here in town, Southern States. And so most of the drive was 30 miles from Statesboro within. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't long hauls because I would not be a good long haul uh, driver because I'd fall asleep. So <laughs> That's at least, good. <laughs> so, uh, at least we would drive to the field. You go off, pull your tags, and get back in the truck, and you drive it back to the gin. So, um, yeah, we did that for three or four years, but I worked myself just about to death during that time frame, you know, 19 to 24 years old, somewhere there. I'd work six to two at the shop, um, Lewis Color, and then I'd work from six to two on a cotton truck. Wow. Night. So I took two, three hour naps a day, and I do that from September until about February during cotton season. What type of sacrifices does it take to do this? No, it took a lot. Um, social life was not there for sure. Um, and, um, you know, you start looking at yourself, you know, it took a lot of like physical, uh, sacrifice as well. I mean, you're just taking little naps, you're tired all the time. So, but I always just say, all right, when February gets here, I get to rest from February to September. Uh -huh. And I'm like, and in the year and a half, we'll have this truck paid for, we'll start making good money with it. So that's kind of my, you know, that's my drive behind it. You know, 
Because I'm young, I can do it now. I know I can't do this when I'm 40 years old, but I can do it now. That's right. Um, And so we made it through that time frame at um, work where things was kind of slow at Lewis Keller. Um, And I got to a point where I started moving to the role of uh, VP operations at Lewis Keller as well. So I didn't have the time to where I could be that tired at work and I wasn't as effective. So uh, we ended up selling the company and the truck um, after about four or five years. It was a good investment. Paid off, learned a lot. Yeah. And um, still have my CDO license. If everything nice. goes down, I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Backup plan. Yeah, backup plan for sure. Uh, for, so what... Uh, what made you eventually kind of like leave that? Was it just you got so busy at uh, yeah, Lewis Color? I, I did. I, I didn't have a, you know, with holding any business. It's not I can come in at 6 to 2 or I can't come in. At, you know, you're normally there a little later, a little earlier. Uh, problems happen. You got to be on call to go up there because we run a 18-hour uh, a day at our shop, two shifts. So if something goes down at night, you know, even though we have a, uh, a chain of command who you call. Sure. A lot of times I'm, you know, getting that call and having to yeah. go out there. So um, I just, it was just too much to handle it all at one time. So mm-hmm. that's why I had to kind of bring my focus 100% back to the company and um, really just push and try and grow it. Uh, talk to me about, um, you know, a concept uh, that's often referred to as nepotism, mm-hmm. where, you know, uh, because you're family, you get kind of like, you know, put, you know, in leadership roles, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. For me, uh I think, you know, when I first came back to the Boiling Shrimp, Mm -hmm. um, I was immediately kind of like inserted as manager. And that actually gave, like, I had a lot of kind of like, you know, looks my way saying like, okay, well, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, But I I work for mine, right? Like I still kind of like, you know, regardless of, you know, whatever happened, I still kind of like put forth the best effort. But it sounds like, you know, for you, you had a bit of a different path into it. So talk to me about that. So I definitely had a different path with that. And I guess that's a good thing. I never had to worry about that because I was there from, I was a kid till I never left ever, you know, so just kept on working even more, moved around the shop. So the good thing is when I talk with our employees or we have meetings or discussions or if there's ever problems that arise, um, the good thing is I've probably been there, done that, seen it, um, Mm. seen that problem. So I can really relate to them um, at so many different levels at the shop. And so we don't have any of that. feeling but i can see where in some instances that could happen with other people and family businesses um it's almost like you have to go out there and try and prove yourself sure um and i i still put that little bit of pressure on my back every day um because i've only been president two years now just making sure that we're you know better in our company trying to create more you know, my vision and culture sure. the company as well. Ooh, you bring up a favorite topic of mine, which mm-hmm. is company culture. Mm-hmm. You know, what type of company culture? Oh, let's define it first. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, what, what is your definition of company culture? You know, it's, it's how we carry out our day. You know, are we going to be a, a slave driving type company to where you come here eight, five, you're a robot? Um, or are we going to have, hey, I understand that our employees have, you know, their kids have baseball games, mm-hmm. soccer games, things of that nature. So, we just kind of work together, pull together to where, hey, if you do need to go, you know, Wednesday at two o'clock to this, you know, you're, we allow that to happen and things like that. More of a family oriented company. We do cookouts once a month. Love that. Um, bring in breakfast when I can. Um, we just did a cookout last week and, um, you know, just not really for anything other than, hey, I just appreciate everybody, you know, wanting to be here and kind of collaborate and get together. 
So this brings up an important question, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we do this for our employees uh, or our team members, uh, family, if you mm-hmm. will. Yep. Uh, but what happens, you know, do you ever see that people taking advantage of that? Of, of the kindness of, you know, you know, us going above and beyond as much as we can. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see anybody taking advantage of it. Um, I can see people getting used to it to where it's like a routine. So like one day when that breakfast doesn't show up, like, yeah, it's like, come that's on. part of my package. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the breakfast? So I try not to ever miss it. You know, so nobody <laughs> says that or uh, the monthly meals or bi-monthly, whatever it is. Um, mm. But I can see your point of that. It, it could definitely come up. But I haven't seen it within our um, company, but um, we've really only been doing this for about last year or two. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you implemented? You didn't yes. do that before? We didn't do it before. We did like, um, we always had like a Christmas party and yep. Thanksgiving, things like that. And I've been, been doing it kind of outside the box. Just, hey, just this is just for y'all. Just to, hey, you don't have to bring lunch today. I'm going to cook for you. And I go back there and start cooking first thing in the morning. Um, what do you think that's done for your staff? Have you been able to tell a difference between uh, before and after? I have. It, I guess it opens the door to people to communicate more uh, versus just, hey, I'm in this office and, and don't talk. You know, I wear my uh, my rad dad uh, a grilling shirt, you know, the day I cook. And, uh-huh. you know, being able to communicate and talk with everybody, it's more like a family atmosphere. And so, um, you know, just I, I see more of that. I think it's very important. Uh, you know, we've arrived in this point in our uh, culture, and, and I'm talking about just culture overall, where uh, retaining talent is probably one of the most important things that we we have to do uh, as entrepreneurs because, you know, there's just so little of it out there. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. find good people these days. Uh, but once you have them, you want to make sure that they're engaged, that they enjoy what they do. And a company culture is a huge part of that, right? Like, you know, if you have great people that come to work, but then they don't enjoy their workplace, it's not worth it. Like on either side, right? On either side. You nailed it with that that point you just made there. Um, I'm a member of a peer group and I actually even more to go to Denver uh, with different printers across the U.S. And we collaborate, go over what's going on in their different printer um, their operations and we go over problems and things just like you said and that's probably the number one thing that pops up labor force labor force uh, labor retention Mm. uh, keeping good talent how are how are you doing that um you know especially in our area now with you know we got manufacturing plants popping up all up and down Mm -hmm. 60 and that's great for a lot of people it's not bad for us but it does add a level of competition sure that we really have to sell ourselves as being a family business um, you know, that different culture that we have, I may not be able to pay quite as much as some of those mm. top positions over there, but I want to create a place where you feel welcome. I understand, um, and set ourselves apart with that, you know? That's right. You know, I, I, you know, we deal with this already just through kind of, you know, when the, um, Walmart DC came in, I mean, they're paying top dollar. Yep. Of course the work is different, right? Yes, it's different. It, it's it's definitely like heavy, heavy kind of like lifting. Um, but it's like, you know, how do you create something where a movement, if you will, that people want to be a part of? Um, I think that that's amazing. Uh, how what what's kind of like uh, 
you know, you, you listed out a, a suite of services that, you know, the company currently offers. Is there other things that you're also involved with? Because I heard a little bit of this cotton talk, yeah. uh, but are there any other businesses that are kind of like under the Lewis Color umbrella? Um, not necessarily under the Lewis Color umbrella. We do, um, me and my father, we own some commercial real estate and uh, residential real estate and recreation real estate. So um, how'd you guys get into that? Just, you know, real estate's always one of those things that is there, it's concrete, and especially in our area, you can, even if you buy it and just look at it every day, it's not going to go down in value. Mm. Um, it might have slips and dips, but it's going to come back. That's right. For sure. So, uh, really like real estate, really like commercial real estate, which is really hard to find in our area right mm -hmm. now. Um, people that are trying to rent, like one of our pieces or properties is uh, solely focused on like different small businesses, there's thousand square foot bays and things of that nature. And they're so hard to find. And we got like a waiting list of 20 people looking for those bays. And yeah. Things. So we do a little bit of that. Um, I don't have any ownership in the gym, but well, my family, they own the In Shape Fitness Center mm -hmm. over there. And um, that kind of a compliment is kind of going a little bit off topic. But uh, back to Lewis Color and our services, one thing we added on during the pandemic was um, wide format signage vehicle wraps and things like that so during that pandemic we lost half our business overnight wow uh, yeah how'd that feel a top customer and our third largest customer gone overnight it was like canceled jobs too so it was like they were in the pipeline and just everything got canceled then we lost them forever you know they never came back they never they never yeah, came back so um you know one of them went out of business with a major restaurant um so we did lots of marketing direct mail for restaurants um and marketing firms so really during that time, we had to just sit there and look at ourselves and like, what are we going to do to replace this work? Um, and what other services can we offer? We were outsourcing a lot of our large format and that type of work to um, other printers across Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, hey, let's take a leap of faith. Let's bring that in-house and see if we can recoup some of that um, outsourcing dollar. And then we just, um, we just really... Uh, we started grinding and looking at other sales staff. So we started adding on more salespeople and mm. uh, really started growing into certain niche markets. And it's really, we're almost back where we were pre-COVID now. That's awesome. Uh -huh. That's but yeah, it was a major, it was a major uh, thing to overcome. Yeah. You know, half your business going in a month. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, so let's talk about maybe, cause this channel is really built for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, do you come across a lot of entrepreneurs in your day to day? Like, while you're like in your in your job i do I, we come across clients that are major entrepreneurs and you know even though we print for different marketing firms things like that you can definitely see campaigns start from little campaigns of being hey i just want to send out 600 mailers uh -huh. and next thing you know there's one recently i kind of put my own they're doing 40 and fifty thousand mailers a month so business must be growing because they have the marketing spend to you know capture that support now. that yeah so um see that and i see Actually, some of our employees as well, you can see that entrepreneurial spirit doing maybe a little, you know, what's the thing now, side hustle. People That's are doing right. side hustles and things uh, mm -hmm. and um, really growing with that. And and, um, and I really support them with that because you can just see that in their day-to-day -day work as well, mm -hmm. trying to make something work or you know, having a passion for it and not just showing up, clocking in. So what advice do you give those people when they come to you? Once I know about something, I'm asking them questions about it, uh -huh. you know, and we kind of talk and collaborate at that point. Um, 
if they need help with anything or if they have any questions about how I would do this or that. Uh-huh. Um, do you have a process of judging how good an idea is or how good a business is? I do not. Is there, do you have any processes there? Or? I mean, so for me, I think number one is uh, I, I see a lot of kind of like ideas that come through. And, and the first thing I tell people is like ideas are like phenomenal, but everything is in the execution, mm-hmm. right? Being able to execute properly on the idea and also being able to identify kind of like when to pivot or when to kind of adjust is absolutely critical. The second thing that I often ask people to do is really like do the market research because so many times people are like, oh, like caught up in like the dreaming aspect. Oh, this could be like the next, the next whatever, right? But they don't do the actual like groundwork and then figuring out like the financial, uh, how are you going to make this happen, right? How much capital do you need? How much is the business going to actually have to do, right? These are all kind of like critical questions that I, I think, you know, and there's no real training for this, but that's kind of like at least like a starting step. Yeah. Yeah, it gives you a feel for it. Who is your who is your customer base? That's right. Don't get there. That's right. Um, so definitely, I, we definitely have a process for looking at acquiring existing businesses. Oh, so you is, do that? Yeah. So we we look at that. We're always looking for other printers in the area and things okay. like that. Um, some brokers, you know, anything we can bring in house and manufacture in our plant, um, we we're trying to do it for sure. Got you. Uh, we're growing that way and growing by acquiring, you know, sales reps that already have a book of business and things like that. And, and how, how do you put a value on that? Are you, are you looking at kind of like the amount of revenue that, you know, that they have con- like have contractually, um, or are you just approaching it by, by feel? Cause I mean, th- this is a very, like, you know, sometimes it's like you, you have that gut feeling of this is a good move, right? That's right. We look at top line a little bit, um, but we're really looking at what type of debt they have, mm. where they're sit with the value of their sales. Yeah. Because if I'm bringing something in house, you know, I can add value to that and actually do it maybe cheaper than they're doing it, manufacture it. There's a lot more upside for for us. So I really want to look at the um, the quality of their book of business. We already know you're going to lose twenty to forty percent just just by the move, but just by an acquisition because. Even though everybody says they're going to stay, once they know something changes up, uh-huh. um, you know, you're going to have that natural loss. Got you. That's, so if you try, when we look at things like that, we're always looking to see if we can get the sales rep and the staff that these people have been working with and try and keep as much of that as yeah. we can. That's awesome. So how about, you know, when you are kind of, you know, going after these businesses um, after you move them in, and is it typically other uh, print shops that you are yeah. going after? Yeah. So the last one we did was in 2017. Okay. We bought a printer out of Savannah, and uh, we moved all the manufacturing to Statesboro, and we retained probably 70% of their staff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're looking at other printers. Got you, got you. So w- when you bring them in, uh, you said that there's a bit of a, a loss to you know the clientele, mm-hmm. um, and then but but I'm assuming that you have just such clear understanding of your numbers of how that can fit into their model. Uh, do you do you do walkthroughs of like hey like you know do you interviews like what is that what does that even look like of that acquisition? Yeah, so you're. That process normally is not a quick process. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time. We're looking through numbers. We're looking through uh, their records. We're looking at key personnel. We want to see whatever who's all staff and who are the the real key people there. 
mm-hmm. um, to making sure that those key people are coming over. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like the sale that you want to see if you can get the culture, the people, um, everything over. That's right. Um, what's on the horizon for Lewis Color? Um, so we're really starting to grow our wholesale business even more. Um, and that's kind of a product of technology and labor force aging. Mm-hmm. So our offset business, which is traditional, which everybody likes to look when they go to our plants, the big machines back there printing, um, that's a lot more labor intensive and it takes a real skilled person to run those machines. Mm -hmm. And everything now is moving more kind of the digital and toner devices, which not taken away from anybody, anybody on my staff's listening, uh, they're not, you know, you can't get a monkey to run them, but they're a lot easier to run than a, you know, offset press. So what these smaller printers are doing is Maybe their pressman is about to retire. Sure. Um, they don't want to make a capital investment of a million and a half dollars to buy a new machine that's getting old. Wow. So what they're doing is they're outsourcing that work to people like us, and they are just you know adding 20 30% to it without even having to worry about that headache anymore. So we're really growing in that way. I've seen that a lot over the last two or three years. So something in there just caught my attention. You said these machines are a million dollars for a single right. used machine. Yeah, used one. Yeah. How how much uh, equipment? What is the value of the equipment that you have at Lewis Color? Oh, it's roughly probably four and a half million. Oh my goodness! And and all of these is basically uh, basic the the line of like the machines that actually print the goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's printers and our bindery department, which folds it, staples it, whether it's gluing or perfect binding or cool binding. Is there any uh, more technology on the way? Like how, uh, my uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about right now is uh, artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and kind of like, you know, uh, robots that are kind of like, you know, starting to take over some some of these tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a company out there uh, that I think they're called Miso Robotics, M-I-S-O. Uh, and what they do is they're in the food industry and you're starting to see kind of like, you know, uh, machines that, you know, uh, drop the fries and, 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 you oh, know, saw, do that. I've yeah. And it, it, I think it's like, uh, my phone will be sending me these. Exactly. Exactly. Right exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, like what, what's on the horizon for, uh, press. So, um, we're always looking at technology and how we can, I mean, with our labor market, like we've discussed, you've got to figure out ways to bridge that. And with a aging workforce, which we're dealing with a lot of that as well, um, and hard to find skilled labor, you're looking at ways we can cut touch points, mm-hmm. really implement a lean manufacturing line. Mm-hmm. So we're, we've installed several machines just in the last year that are bridging the gap on those touch points and actually eliminating a couple of positions that are, um, we would only have to have somebody there. And everything, everybody wants it quicker faster and better now yeah so used to it was a you wouldn't even take a print job in the 80s and 90s if you didn't have five to seven days to do it now people want it in 12 hours you know they want to place it that afternoon they're picking it up the next day so you know technology's there where we have really bridged that gap where we have machines that can we can produce work that quick mm-hmm. um, but we're always looking at that so we just put in a cutter slitter score perf machine which they could do it all in the digital room where it finishes business cards or note cards or whatever it is right there without having to go to another department. They're actually boxing it right there. As far as a press goes, we're looking at that probably two to three years down the road, looking at another capital investment in that, Mm -hmm. especially if it continues to grow naturally like we are now. What do you think is attributing to the growth of Lewis Color? Um, A big thing is we are G7 certified, which means 
anybody can send their print work to us and know that they're getting a quality job that would match any other G7 printer. So there's not a lot of those around. It's where, say, if you were, um, say, you're a hospital and you have, you know, you're about to have a big uh, open house or something. So you got pop-up banners, you got business cards, you've got a direct mail piece that went out and maybe you have some brochures. Well, those are really produced on about four different pieces of equipment. One's a toner device for digital, one's offset, and one's wide format. So different substrates um, look differently. They, you know, color looks, sits on them differently. So this just ensures that that color matches between all the different substrates and it's going to look exactly right. And is that a machine? Or is that... It's a certification and it's a um, type of software we have to put on each one of the machines. Uh And we have to do weekly checks on it to make sure it's still certified to where we can get our little sign to put in the door. We'll put on our website. Yeah. But it gives other printers the... um, security that we will produce that job correctly mm-hmm. they don't have to be so nervous all right we're farming this job out i hope it looks good when it comes back yeah so that's helping with a lot of growth and um uh, with our integrated print solutions where we create these uh these websites for these different printers that is taking off like crazy right now because you know whether it's hospitals we have some companies companies have hospitals and we're creating these storefronts where they load all their stuff from gowns you know because we do more than printing we do you know gowns whether it's swag items like you know koozies or whatever we put it all in the storefront along with their business cards and things like that and so instead of them having to manually call people to print this stuff out they're ordering it right there on the spot sharing it amongst all their other hospitals and that's just taking off like wildfire. So are you, let me ask you this, are you drop shipping this? Mm-hmm. So they're not holding on to any inventory? Mm-hmm. No, wow. So we're doing it on demand. Wow. Yeah. We, that's great. We inventory some pocket folders, like a real heavy user that they order, you know, maybe a hundred thousand a year. So we'll print like batches of 20,000, but everything else is print on demand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not holding inventory or anything. So you, you aren't. Yeah, we're not. So you're not holding the inventory that, like, we that hold the paper. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, but we don't hold finished goods. Got you. That's way to say it. Got you. Uh, how do people find out, uh, find Lewis Color? If there's somebody that's out there listening and, you know, uh, that has interest in potentially doing some work with you guys, yeah. how do they get in contact? Um, I guess the best way is always, you know, you can go to our website, www.lewiscolor.com. Uh, we're located at 30 Joe Candy Boulevard behind Ogeechee Tech. Um, we love, I love giving tours and show people the place. So if anybody has any interest, def- definitely stop by and see us. Um, and then we have Facebook and um, it, uh, LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Justin, I have to thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, I think for me it's um, an inspiration uh, that, you know, you're, that this is a family business going on, I believe three generations now, 62 years. Yeah. Which is like no feet, like easy feet. Family businesses are are extremely difficult to do. Uh, but the fact that, you know, you're able to kind of like take the business by the horns and then also implement like your style into there as well, right? With yeah. uh, the culture pieces, um, you know, people think that it might be small, but like doing doing your due diligence and, you know, cooking for your people, um, I think that that's a huge, um, you know, uh, opportunity for, uh, you know, those relationships to be built. Uh, and then finally, you know, even uh, the, the foresight of seeing what's happening in the future. I think that these uh, 
are elements that every entrepreneur needs to have in their kind of like toolkit. Um, but thank you so much for coming to the show. And then um, be, I'll, I'll definitely be doing some uh, work with you moving forward. So. Sounds great. Thanks Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks. Appreciate it.